You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to the Boss Hogger Liberty Podcast on the We Are Libertarians Network. I am your host, Jeremiah Morrill, and as always, I'm joined by our co-host, Dakota Davis. How's it going, Jer? Oh, well, it would be better if I passed out the show notes in advance. Yep, I'm, that's what I'm trying to get to. I think there's a little pause before I could respond to you. Yeah, that's the way it goes. So our show is about our lives in rural Indiana. It's a show about folks who are involved in politics. We promise that our episodes are going to be a fun and an easy listen. We interview people who are influencers, elected officials, political experts, and people that we just find interesting. Does that sound about right, Dakota? I think that sounds pretty good. So who we got here? I th- Dave, what do you fall under? Uh, hopefully somebody that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I, uh, interesting. Right, there we go. <laughs> political <laughs> expert, political candidate. Yeah, our, our guest is a, is a state senate district number 26 uh, candidate, Dave Ring. Uh, your slogan that you have on your... On your thing is Dave Ring, time for a wake-up call. Those are really good. I, I really like that play on words. Thank you, and, sir. Uh, it says you're a Bernie Kratt for state senate. That's correct. That's that's uh, just another way of saying progressive. Progressive. A, a bloody leftist. That's right. <laughs> that's right. That's so right. The, the other side of the room, we have returning co-host Chase Payton. What up? How we doing, man? Pretty good, dude. You're looking. Uh, you're looking different. I'm, I'm a little different. You changing. You're, you're on the run from the law. You have a, a new appearance. That's what everyone at work's at been saying. And I have to zoom in on you because, so everybody can see the difference. He looks professional. He looks clean. Well, I heard we had and, a good guest coming, so I had to shave. Oh, I, I see how. <laughs> That's it all it took, right? Yeah. You don't clean up for us, but you will for uh, for burning crap. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even do this for Dakota's wedding, so we yeah, true special. We don't judge over here. So. <laughs> The Bernie, I, if I, I'm sure Bernie people are a lot like libertarians. You've got uh, all different appearances. We do. You're not we too do. worried about shaving or neck beards or. I, I don't. I don't think that Bernie ever had at a rally a, a naked man with an iron cross tattooed on his arm run across the stage. That's why I still think the libertarians need to have snipers at the national convention to keep that from happening the next time. He's not wearing Armani Armani suits either. He took it off. He had a suit on when he when he took the stage. He had the suit on, but uh, yeah, we got some issues. So uh yeah so what uh what have we been doing this week I went uh I went to the basketball games on Tuesday we're in we're in sectional time Cade you or uh, Cade Chase over there in in Cade's seat you uh you never texted me back I thought we could go and have a double date again yeah. go to some basketball I, I mean uh, I think I was in bed <laughs> I mean I mean Chase was on the sports desk but I'm I'm really glad that you brought up that you were in bed because back in the day what used to happen was that every time that I tried to reach out to Chase, you always thought that I was bad about texting back. But every time that I tried to reach out to Chase, it was like I never got a response until like 2.30 in the afternoon. And that just happened to be the time that he would be waking up. It, was, it went both ways, okay? <laughs> it, so, it, it did sometimes. So did we win? Yeah, Newcastle won. Yeah. And uh, we are, uh, we, Newcastle, because I, I didn't go there, but I live here. So mm-hmm. yeah. Newcastle, Indiana has the uh, world's largest high school gym. So you, you, as a future legislator from uh, Henry County, you're going to have to know. 
I'm familiar know, with know that. Know what you got, yeah. The Chrysler, is that what it's called? The Chrysler Gym? Uh, yeah, it's the, uh, you, well, I don't know if they call it Chrysler anymore. It used yeah, to be Newcastle Chrysler High School. Yeah. No, it's just now a, I think it's the Newcastle Fieldhouse. I think we've we've abandoned the Chrysler name. I'm showing my age there. Yeah, it's, and, uh, you know, that's okay. and, and crowned it and step up to the plate. They wanted not the building, yet. but they didn't want to pay any of the sponsorships that came along with the building. In, uh, I'm not picking on any of our corporate supporters in the community, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> but there are a, a bunch of Boar's Head, uh, Boar's Head signs in there uh, when are you they? go inside. Yeah, so they're, oh, they're, 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 they're supporting them. That was the best job that I ever worked. Was, was doing the electrical Boar's, Boar's Head? Head? Yeah. Well, I should say the best construction job, the one I have now. <laughs> yeah, uh, current employer may be listening. <laughs> but if you like it so much, go back there. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, Friday night and Saturday night coming up, uh, Newcastle sectionals going on. So if you all are within shouting distance of that or any of the other basketball games, check it out. It's 10 bucks for a three-game ticket. It's a pretty good deal and really good well, basketball. Well, if you go, if you go, I'll go this time. I'm going Friday night and probably Saturday night. Great. Now I have to go. See, look at that. Have you met me? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's there. He's gonna hit me up so many times. I'm. Uh, <laughs> oh my goodness, George Costanza. When he drives to the end of the Hamptons, just to prove a point, that is that's the way I operate. Yeah, you're not gonna have a choice. You're just gonna be like, oh my god, Jeremiah. Yes, yeah. I will go. So this Friday, tomorrow, tomorrow. Okay, I have an uncle coming in from New York. <laughs> that sounds will, made up. I will try to make it. Hey, bring your uncle. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> he can, they hold he can, ten thousand seats. Uh, They're not going to fill up. He can come <laughs> see the the world's uh, largest high school basketball field house at Newcastle. And that would, hey, that would be a good he experience. graduated from Newcastle. If there's so, still time, maybe, so maybe we'll started. go to Ellick and we'll uh, we'll add up coat of paint to the world's largest ball. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So, also in my district. Oh, it, see, I'm trying yeah. to help you out. All right. Yeah. Uh, he already knows his stuff, Jeremiah. Melanie Wright was here, and it's in her. It's in her district. So I'm that's, sure. I'm sure you've run across Melanie a time or two now. Yep. On the trip. Sure have. Yeah. Well, her her sign is actually right above you. She was a really good guest. I really enjoyed having her on. But Jeremiah, you. Uh, oh man, you you also did a, a little uh, reconnaissance mission I for went, the Boss Hog of Liberty. I went undercover, as you said. I wore my glasses <laughs> so I wouldn't look the same. <laughs> of course, I wasn't too undercover because I checked in on Facebook. On Monday, I, uh, I, I checked out the Muncie Downtown Farm Stand and had the uh, had the, had your ham and bean special and a salad. Great. So, so yeah. give it to me straight. I, I, I liked it. Some of, my, some of the people I go with are... Uh, you know they're not they're not the crunchy granola types, right? So right. they're they're hard to please, but uh, but I think we, yeah, we you, enjoyed it. You took Jason Thompson. I did take Jason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and crunchy granola. We make a whole grain bread, so <laughs> as opposed to uh, white bread. So if you can get over that, you're probably going to love everything else about that, it. That sounds right up my alley. We were talking a little bit before the show about all of your sandwiches, and there's a little Amish mart uh, in Fountain City. It's called Fountain City Acres. And they have a, a, it's like a, it's a grocery store, first of all, but then they also have a, a sandwich bar where you can go and have lunch meat sandwiches made. And it is, uh, they're like $3. And every time I find excuses to go to Fountain City now to go and buy a sandwich, they're the best things ever. And now I'm really excited to go try your sandwiches. Cool thing about our bread, if I can self, of course. Uh, so <laughs> listen, <laughs> we wouldn't have a show if we didn't self promote. So please, let us get out of the way and tell us about what you got. Well, so uh, we're the only place in, in Muncie that makes our bread from scratch, and so we're hand hand forming these Wait, loaves. I saw Subway; they bake them right there in the store. Yeah, that's coming in uh, all frozen off the truck, and then they bake it off. It's so. the pre-made yoga mat, and right? They, they fold it out. Yoga mat, yes. that's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so, but we get our uh, our whole grain spelt from um, a nice old, uh, I think, 
70 mil in Greenville, Ohio. We go there, pick it up. They're getting the whole grain spelt grown on a local farm right in Dark County. But that's one hour from our door, so we pick up our flour there. Dark County is the next county over, just in, just into the state of Ohio. Yep, that's where that's, you have to, had to go to buy beer until uh, until till this week. Until this week. <laughs> yeah. you, you can buy it here now. Finally I got a little freedom. Wait. I cannot wait. Yeah, I'm not sure if we deserve... Pat's on the back for that after this I know, after I, the, uh... I, on the on the governor's live stream he actually on um the what he uh, prefaced it with was uh, join me while I sign this bill and make history for the state of Indiana. I was like is it really like are you really saying that this is history? We're the last state in the union to yeah. finally adopt this. Like and that's not the first thing like that we've done. Yeah, it it's kind of irritating but oh well, I'm I'm happy for it. All of the I don't know if you I don't know if you saw my posts or anybody else did uh, my Facebook posts. I, as I watched the live stream, there was so many comments coming through, just like all caps, uh, baby boomer type comments where it was like, I do not agree with this. We have, we have a- <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's my, well, that's my talking. To, it's always now in you caps. Know. Dakota, Dakota hears everybody in caps. Well, I mean, if I see something in caps, that's how I read it. Like this, yeah, you have to scream like this throaty raising my voice at you type uh, type thing like i don't agree actually i saw one lady who said do not agree and it's and it said dot 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 sounds like my grandma like she was freaking out about it yesterday i was like we're like the last state to do this i was like it wasn't technically for religious purposes yeah she this lady was for protectionism (laughs) yeah this lady said do not agree dot 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 you know it's not just the three but it said drunk driving and dot 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 What's next? Marijuana? And I, and I was like, well, not with that attitude. <laughs> the hashtag on that would be one less embarrassing law. Yes. It, yeah. Absolutely. We've talked so many times on the on just embarrassing things that have come out of the state during the uh, past legislative sessions and things. And, uh, this this podcast is an embarrassing thing for this state, let's be honest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, don't say that. We might have people listening that might want to come on. <laughs> So yeah, we checked out the downtown farm stand. You had uh, you guys sell spirits out of there. So are you going to have Sunday sales now? We will. Yeah, we will. Oh, we can start awesome. this Sunday. Now you've got a beer different, and wine. Yep. Okay, no, no, you don't have the hard liquor yet, right? Because you know you got to have a three way license for that. Yeah, and that's tricky in Delaware County. He's also not a farmer. You, know, you have to pay the vig. <laughs> <laughs> you got to kiss the ring and yeah. you know yeah. shell it's, out a hundred grand. Someday maybe you'll be on the inside of the government and you know be able to take care of yourself. Well, <laughs> to the victor go the spoils and whatnot. Yeah, it depends on how low I want to go, I guess. Or if you just change the law and go for a little bit more freedom and we don't have to go begging for things that ought to be human rights anyway or in natural law rights anyway. Yeah, right? and so that whole thing is, I don't know if you know how that works with the with the three-way licenses that they allow those to be owned like property. And yeah, they go with the building. Yeah, and so you can you can stockpile them as well. So for years we had people that owned six or seven of those and you're supposed to send – uh, you're supposed to file every year and say, this liquor license is planned to be in use. And you have to say how you're planning to use it, even though you don't use it for like six yeah. years in a row. I plan on keeping it until I sell it. <laughs> or lease it. And it keeps the value up, right? Of course. So then, right. you know, you don't, you can sit on six or seven of them and somebody's willing to pay $100,000 for them. And that's be- a, because we say there's a certain number of people in this community and damn it, we can only have so much alcohol sold. So we're going to license, we're going to create a, a false market for them. Mm-hmm. Now, Jerem- or Jeremiah, Zachary Bertram, uh, who is, uh, who happens to be the neighbor of the Boss Hog Liberty Studios, uh, just commented <laughs> in all caps, 
Think how much worse the drunk driving will be after church gets out. <laughs> yeah, because w- the law now says that anybody that takes communion has to have hard liquor now. That's the way that's going to well, go. you know, there's a really easy way to fix this chair, and it is selling hard liquor in church on Sunday. Mm. I think that that is what we should have done instead of allowing it in liquor stores. But, get, but you get it, the people but, but in the church. It, or would it be untaxed because it's for religious purposes? Mm. I, I, so I, many opportunities. I say it's untaxed. Well, it would certainly up church attendance, I would imagine. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's a win-win situation for so you society. Guys, you guys had an interesting sign, and I'll, I'll let you explain it. But it's your policy on carry-out liquor versus consuming it in the store, right? Explain that to me because I've never seen that done before. Um, so we have a one twelve license, which uh, allows people to drink there, and then they can also we can also say carry-out. And uh, what was the sign that you saw? Was that it's uh, like an extra two dollars or something? Oh, to, right, right. If you want to drink it in the store, yeah. So we want to we want to have really competitive carryout prices, like um, same as you know liquor stores or whatever. Uh, but there's extra insurance costs and glassware costs and employee costs to consuming it on site. So to ha- we can have two two tiers of prices: one for carryout and then one for drinking in house. Right. So your insurance probably doesn't. I mean, I guess you you can charge it, but the, the glassware thing, I guess, makes sense. But the insurance is like you got to pay. I mean, you don't have a variable insurance schedule. Well, I sold seven beers today, so I have to kick in more money, right? No, but it's for in house. You have to pay more for because there's supposed liability risks of somebody getting overserved in in your restaurant, so you pay right. more insurance. And I've always thought it'd be funny to have to go like back in the day when Qdoba would sell beer just to go get. Absolutely plastered at Q Double one time. <laughs> just, yeah, that would be hilarious. And like you got the burrito right there. Yeah. But really, whenever I get to drinking, I I don't want like heavy meals. I want the chips and salsa, the nachos, yeah, peanuts. I just I, I want See, it I one want time. It would greasy. be a great bit for somebody greasy? to do that. Oh yeah, hmm. interesting. Speaking of beer, um, <laughs> before uh, with the uh, Sean Rao episode, we uh, we did a little promotional uh, video for Norris English Pub in Liberty, Indiana. Uh, I went back down there, actually, Saturday and Sunday. I went back down there twice. Just moving in with those people. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I love that place. And uh, the owner was like, uh, he he recognized me and was... Um, with, even with the new glasses? Yeah, even with the glasses. And uh, apparently I'm not like much like Clark, Clark Kent like I thought I was. But uh, <laughs> he uh, he actually, as a thank you, he he was like, you know, what, what, what can I give you for like this or whatever? I'm like, honestly, I wasn't doing it to try to get a, a sponsorship or anything. I'm just trying to show off our new camera. <laughs> That's what that was about, and I love the beer. But he uh, he did make a comment that said that my, my drinking glass uh, was not appropriate with what I was drinking it out of before because I was drinking it out of a Sun King uh, ale glass. Mm-hmm. So he, he said, if you give me a glass, I'll drink out of it. He Well, he actually came up, and he, he gave me a paper bag and he was like make sure you drink it out of something more appropriate next time and that i don't know if you can see it in the video or not but it so is you have, a norris english pub 20 ounce pint glass so it's it's more than it's like a pint plus and mm, i don't yeah. know what the official term for that and is, but by the way all of their uh craft beers in there are uh are five dollars for a 20 ounce pint yeah nice. uh, great prices and really good beer there we go all right enough mucking around Dave Ring's here. We should talk to him. <laughs> Let's do it. So you're a Bernie crat. You're the first guy that I've seen that runs. It's like, hey, I'm a Bernie guy. Yeah. What's that mean? Uh, Pretend like we're not from Vermont or Democrats. Sure. Um, it's just a quick way to hopefully somebody's driving by. They see a sign. They can align with uh, – I know where my, my issues align. And 
and make that mental note with my name. It could have easily, just as easily have put uh, progressive on there. I'm not sure. Even though we have a long history of progressives in this country through different, you know, going back to the New Deal era. And, um, Is that so? Are, do you, are you like, it sound terrible. Are you a socialist? Like, because Bernie right. calls himself like a socialist, right? Uh, he, he's a democratic socialist. But um, that's a great question. And I do get that occasionally. So let's talk about that. Let's get into the. To the so socialism. True socialism is like, you know, there's more government control in businesses and, um, you know, all the elements of government are, are of society are essentially government controlled. Right. And, you know, even in Canada, which I think a lot of people in the U.S. consider socialist, it's not really a socialist country. They just have socialized medicine. Right. So um, for you now, know, you still have the means of production. You own your own business and whatnot. Yeah, I'm, 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 I participate in capitalism and have my own business, have my own farm. Uh, certainly believe in that. I just, um, but no, I'm not a socialist. I, I uh, think we think we're a free market, right? But as we know, we're not a free market economy totally because right. we have tariffs, as we, we saw are, today. We are, <laughs> we are the most. Uh, we are as far from a free, a truly free market as we could possibly get yeah, to pretend to be. Cap- we have, we have subsidies. Yep, that's what we you know. that's what we like to say is crony capitalism, corporatism. Yeah, uh, I've I've made the point a couple of times. Uh, like, if you look up the true definition of fascism, and you and you really look up and you read Mussolini, you you really find out that uh, I'm sorry that we've we are no, we're, we're sixteen minutes on. in and we already went Mussolini on the point. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's where we're going. Yeah, uh, but it, they define fas- fascism as a, a collaboration between governments and. Uh, and private enterprise and corporations and industry. So it, it begs the question with all of the different subsidies that we give out, is mm-hmm. is, are, is that fascism? Like uh, that's a tough question that you have to answer whenever you're talking about economics. And uh, I mean, I, I apologize because you're running for state Senate and obviously, you know, this is a much more of a national issue, but oh, that's it's, okay. it's still interesting uh, to hear. Yeah. Well, so you know, generally the, the jump is from socialism to communism, and I see that in forums and things all the time. Well, that's the same thing. That's a, yes, comrade. Uh, and <laughs> and so you know, really, the issue the issue is about the black and white definition of those terms. Whereas most economies are blends, right? And so the U.S. economy is a blend of of some free market elements. And you know, do we like do our grandparents like their social security? That's a blend of a a socialism element as well as uh, if, if Medicare. You let, and, if you let me buy out today, just call it good. I'll keep I'll I'll keep the rest of my money from here on out, and <laughs> Grandma and Grandpa can keep collecting their check. We'll keep borrowing to pay them until they're gone. Yeah. I will make that deal today. Yeah, I know. You know, you won't be in Congress to cut that deal with me, but I'm. I'll make that deal today yeah. if you could. I, I understand. Oh, yeah. I I think um you know my personal view on that is is that you know having that untouchable protect protects all the people who. You know, might not be that good at managing money, and so yeah, at the yeah. end of the, the day, they get to be you know, what is it, sixty five, sixty six years old. It's a sliding scale depending upon how how, how much, much they want to draw. Yeah. yeah, they can still they still have something there. It's it's not enough necessarily to live on, but it's it's I, helped I a lot that, of people. I think that a lot of the problem that that we've seen here recently, and it keeps getting brought up election cycle after election cycle, is it's like you said before, you know, untouchable. But whenever we uh, see the federal government it's it's very far from an untouchable account whenever it comes to social security right so well it I, gets borrowed from constantly or oh, taken yeah, from yeah. yeah 
But I mean, it's untouchable from our perspective. We, we can't touch it. But, exactly. Um, and I think it should be. I think it should be untouchable. Period. But of course, you know, they they tend to borrow from things. But the um, the nature of you know, are we? I, I believe in helping. I believe in a social safety net because you know I live on the edge of um, a downtown where we have a lot of blight, and it's a mini Rust Belt city, and there's a lot of people. No doubt that have fallen through the cracks. We and talked. We talked quite a bit about that last week with Steve Horowitz, uh, the Ball State economist, uh, talking about you know the, the changes Muncie has gone through yeah. in, in recent years, where they've gone from being an auto manufacturer with you know he, massive job growth and you know guys working two or three shifts at full production to where we you know we're we got a city that's lost a third of its population in the last thirty years. Yeah, and and, and it's and aging. The whole and the whole bootstraps, you know pulling yourself up um, analogy is I've been in those areas enough to know that, that not everybody can pull themselves up. And, and I, I think that, you know, a social safety net and I, I believe in, um, you know, I do believe in a nationalized healthcare system. Um, I think that's government can serve. I think it's our duty to participate in government to make sure it doesn't go corrupt. I'm very anti-government corruption and I'm very, uh, government reform minded, and I really believe it should be managed by all of us. And I think that corruption happens when we don't get involved and we don't participate in government. And we have voting percentages that are 35 percent average at the midterm elections. Uh, but that being said, if we're participating in government, government can serve as the buffer between us and, like, for instance, the large multinational corporations, the don't have the moral center that we do for our own people. And so we can use that as a tool to, as the go between. So, yeah, and, and once again, I, you know, this is still a national topic, but I think that that has a lot to do in my personal belief. Um, it has a lot to fall back on, on unions. So yeah. I'd, my personal opinion is <clears throat> that there's nothing more capitalist and there's nothing more uh, that coincides with a free market than, than, a union representation against uh, against corporations, and I, in my personal belief, I've been a member of two unions now. Is that the more that we see government uh, kind of step in with the things that they do um, against businesses, unions and union representation has actually been on a steady decline as those things go up. Yeah. So uh, you can make the argument that correlation does not equal causation, but in this case, I, I truly believe it does because the more people, the more that people see that type of thing from the government, the more they think, oh, well, why do I need a union representation? Mm-hmm. I think that that is a, that's a big issue uh, that, that coincides with that. I agree completely. But, uh, go, go right ahead. Well, no, I was, I was going to, I was just going to ask you if you had any major disagreements with, with Bernie Sanders being a Bernie crat. Um, yeah, I I line quite a, uh, pretty straight up with Bernie's. The one uh, the one area of platform that I have that he doesn't agree with it would be um, term limits, which I guess is, um, and and I don't I hesitantly promote term limits. I wish that we wouldn't need term limits, but I think we've gotten to a point right now where we're not being served well without them. I know some of the original you know founders were concerned about unlimited uh, congressional terms, and I think we've seen some of that come back to haunt us. Are there good people who can stay in there for 40 years? Absolutely. Um, are there people who 
uh, you know, I think those good people who can stay in there for 40 years could also have moved around in different government positions and still served and yeah. still been a big still help. Done their part. So in your race for uh, for the Indiana legislature, are you proposing term limits for state senators, state representatives? Uh, I am. Yeah, I, I think it's popular with um, with people in my district. And I think that um, the way things are right now with money and corruption and um in our elected offices and in government all throughout the different state processes up to national, I think that term limits would be a quick way to jump in and take back control. So we, we term limit most of the county offices, the sheriffs, to two, to two <clears throat> terms. We, we term limit our clerks, our auditors, even the governor has a two-term limit. Uh, and the statewide. So for the legislative, are you saying two terms for each one, or what? what what's, I, where are I you think at? eight years. So two terms for Senate and four for four for yeah. Okay, yeah. But that's right. just that's just a rant. Yeah, that's, that that right. seems to be the. That's consensus. a starting point. That's a starting point. Yeah, All right. absolutely. Yeah. So let's let's uh, learn a little bit more about your business. You got your you're in downtown Muncie, mm-hmm. and you've got a very nice building, a full you know plate glass storefront on uh, is it uh, main is it main street main and mulberry yeah. yep right down in the 100 block of main so you're yep. kind of on the north uh i guess it's the northeast quadrant of of downtown muncie mm-hmm. uh right next to one of the big bank buildings and it's a very nice spot Thanks. um you, 11 years you've been there i didn't realize you've, been, you've only been on my radar about two so i for a guy that's worked in muncie forever i i'm I, social media probably helped you out because before social media i didn't uh you weren't on my radar yeah yeah and then you know it's a small business it's not always wise to sink a lot of money into an advertising campaign, um, especially if you don't know if it's going to work. And social media has been a great boon for that. We jumped on it early, um, but it does still can take a while to reach everybody. So then the, the kind of the, the things that set you apart and make you unique is that you, you locally source an awful lot of what you have. So you've got relationships with local farmers. I think you, we talked the Becker, the Beckers in Moreland, Indiana. You, you've had some stuff with them. We have, yes, in the past. Yep. Yep. And then uh, some other other local farms. So you're taking, I, I would assume, fruits and vegetables, meats, those sorts of things, bring them in, and your distribution point for people. Yeah, and we're we have a lot of simpler process than the big corporate stores, you know, and, and that's been our goal is to. When we opened up, we had we had several goals. One of them was to. Um, provide access to organic producers to be able to sell their products because our farm uh, and we we all sold we started a farmer's market in downtown Muncie we ran for three years and our farm and the other farmers that we knew were all having problems selling everything that we produced and then you'd spend several days a week two three maybe four days a week trying to sell your products and you need to be on the farm you need to be working and so we were like, boy, if there was just a grocery store where we could drop off our products, know they were going to be sold, and then get back to the farm instead of having to stand all day and sell them. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, up to up to forty different uh, farmers and producers for things is what you said on your website. And uh, those are the people that provide your groceries. And I think that's really cool. Like, yeah, thank you. That's awesome. That's um, and you we wanted to provide access to the consumer and. So that's that's where we are 11 years later, and we've, you know, expanded into the deli. We've done it in chunks. So we started with the store, then started the deli, and then we did home delivery. And so we do free home delivery with a $35 minimum. And yeah. Chase, what do you do yeah. for grocery shopping now? What's your what's your go-to? Oh, I go to uh, Kroger. So what if I what if I told you that this guy can deliver your groceries to your house? You don't have to do the quick list. Amazing. You don't have to show up. He can just deliver them right to you. We just expanded into Newcastle. Yeah, which is I, I saw that. I, I actually have like two friends before I even knew that you ran it that were like kept posting about how awesome 
how awesome your service is. I'm, I'm like, wow, that that's better even than ClickList. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's all based on convenience, you know. So you can order online, and it's automatic payments, and you don't have to be home to receive it. We have an insulated bin. We drop and go. So you yeah. have dairy, meats. I mean, yeah. pretty pretty much a full service. Absolutely, whatever I need to have, I can have it home delivered. Yep, you sure can. For your deli, um, do you have like a favorite dish or a dish you would suggest for like a, a person just coming for the first time? Or um, we kind of are known. We've gotten written up several times in some, <laughs> even actually in an international publication, The Guardian, about uh, our Cubano, and we uh, make a pork belly Cubano, so we uh, slow roast uh, pork yeah. belly. And we slice it really thick, and then we have our own secret Cubano sauce, which is a little spicy and a little mustardy, and um, and then it's got you know Swiss cheese and pickle and and a layer of ham, and oh, and, that's it, awesome. and then on our bread, and then when we press it in that panini press, it gets crispy on the outside, and it's hot and gooey on the inside. I knew I should have eaten dinner before. This. <laughs> <laughs> we're that's gonna probably to, we're, we're gonna, gonna have to make know, a trip up to Muncie. <laughs> we're also known for a lot of our veggie stuff too. There's a lot of people that appreciate. We do a lot of creative things because we have a lot of fresh produce, and we do a lot of cool oh, stuff. My favorite vegetable is celery. Hmm. So I I don't know what you got in the celery department, but I'm I'm big. Like I I cook all the time with celery. I just eat it raw. I love putting the lettuce pieces in my salads and the I've leaves, been... the lettuce leaves, the, celery, <laughs> the lettuce pieces. They're lettuce pieces. You know, you make salads out of lettuce. They're lettuce pieces. So celery is part of you know the the trinity for soups is garlic, celery, oh, yeah. and onion. If so anybody I'm, ever watched Emerald, you know that. Yeah. You know, I actually, big fan of the trinity. I actually got yeah. big on celery after I watched a documentary on how chicken McNuggets are made. And mm-hmm. they use celery as like... You're talking to the organic farmer. You're trying to find common ground with him over McDonald's chicken, chicken nuggets. nuggets. I, I don't eat McDonald's ever, but like I watched that documentary and like I remembered the taste and i was like oh that has celery in it i need to start cooking with that more and now i love it like let me see if i can pivot from that chicken and celery go great together they do that was a great pivot by the way there you go all right so so you've been in the news in muncie uh for the last year or so i mean it's been going on for a little while yeah a little over a year the, the, i think i know what you're getting to you're in this organic grocery space mm-hmm. and have been for over a decade mm-hmm. in muncie and muncie employing munciites yes, Delaware we are. county yes we are creating jobs yep paying taxes in in downtown in downtown muncie and uh there's uh, somebody. Was it the county, the city council, county council? Who's who's it's, behind this, or the economic development corporation? Who's 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 the magnet here? Yeah, it was the city, and it was through the um, economic development arm of the city that. Um, so they they've attracted a fresh time grocery store. The redevelopment commission is what they're called. The redevelopment commission, and they're building a, a new grocery store on McGallier, the main East West thoroughfare. Yeah, in, in Muncie. And the, yeah, they're, the they're, city gave them some tax breaks that I assume they didn't call up Dave Ring and say, hey, Dave, uh, <clears throat> you need any tax breaks? Right. No, we didn't get that call. And um, they um, they were actually given um, some cash uh, subsidies in the terms of um, in- infrastructure, building roads, and um, they put up a stoplight for the grocery store on McGalliard because we needed another stoplight on McGalliard if you've been down there. That's really important. It's, we all consider yes. it to be the, the expressway of Muncie. We all want to stop every 20 seconds. Yes. And, um, and that way people can get in and out of there easier. And, um, yeah. And so when we 
put together, as I call it, a perfectly reasonable petition um, asking the uh, Redevelopment Commission, the city council, and the mayor to not subsidize a corporate competitor that's not from Muncie and didn't spend 10 years developing a market and working hard to build up because there was no organic store in town before we did it. Right. Then we got over a thousand signatures on the petition, had a lot of support, a lot of grassroots support. And when we went, took it to present it to the council meeting, I had my family there and my kids. I was like, look, kids, this is how (laughs) the process works. You participate in government and we may not win, but this is part of, well, they didn't even accept the petition at the meeting. So, um, and that's a, that's a thousand signature petition. That's not no 350 signature. Right. (laughs) I'm going to take us too far down the rabbit hole. (laughs) And it's one of our constitutional rights is to petition the government. Right. Right. Absolutely. And they just um, don't have to listen to you. You learn that. Right. And they don't have to accept it. Apparently. Yeah. (laughs) uh, And the, the, was it a hand petition or online? How'd you do it? Uh, it was online and I printed it up and I had stacks for each of the council members and the mayor and, um, and everybody had their comments with their addresses. So it was legit. It was a legit. Yeah. So, and I handed it to him or went to hand it to him. And they said, no, that's not an official petition. And you don't. <laughs> and he instructed the council members not to take it. Hear oh ye, my gosh. hear ye. So I have an official petition if, from the 21st century. <laughs> if, if I'm getting all this right, it's not that you're against the fresh time grocery store. No, coming. no competition like, is like, fine. You're fine with that. And it, like you said, you're involved in capitalism. So you're fine with the competition. Yeah, absolutely. You're against the government protectionism, the government subsidies and everything that goes into trying to get a big grocery store and a big supplier like this into into money. Yeah, and the government that picking winners away from that competition. Yes. Like it, it totally slaughters any idea of any type of free market competition, which is horrid. Absolutely. And that's exactly our position on it was that you know the the government shouldn't be involved in picking winners or losers, playing one over another. And uh, we couldn't get any clear answer on why they thought it was okay. <laughs> essentially, essentially, what happened is they took they took your money, because yeah. you, you pay you pay yes. taxes in Delaware County and Muncie. Yes, and then they said, "Let me make some improvements for your competitor to move in." Thanks, Dave. Hope you keep on keep on making money with your business too. They didn't say that last part. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I, I can tell you that already have a lot of common ground with libertarians on this issue. This is yes. this is where we would all you know we're all together on some of yeah. the you know the yeah. socialized medicine thing. You're on you're on Bernie Island, but right. <laughs> We have we mm. definitely have common ground on this one. I get and that. If you, if you talk to my if you talk to my friend uh, Micah Haynes at, in uh, Vincennes County, they already have a socialist libertarian caucus in their libertarian party. I'm it, like, there's 14 of you. Like, <laughs> how Knox, many is the caucus? Knox Four? County, You're common in, ground. Knox look, County. look at you over there inventing counties. Common ground is what it's all about, and I, I think that there would be less people um, disillusioned with with big bigger government if we were taking better care of it. You know, so let's uh, let's learn a little bit about the campaign. You're 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 on the ballot and you're going to be, I guess, looking for votes in, in May. Mm-hmm. Um, May so 8th. Yeah. you've got uh, just a little over two months now between now and now and the first election day. Yes. And it, you're not the only candidate. So you're 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 but it's an open seat, right? It's Senator Eckerty's, Eckerty is, is is not there. So it's a it's a wide open primary. Both yeah, sides. He's not running for reelection. Yeah, that's correct. So how is uh have you you guys been doing some Jefferson Jackson dinners what what uh, what's the campaign been looking like Uh so we're pretty much running outside of the party structure um and that's 
that's our choice. Um, you know, we don't, we didn't, we want to run a, a, a different kind of campaign, a very issue focused campaign, which isn't something that you always see. And, you know, there's, there's elements in, in Muncie, if you follow Muncie politics that we didn't want to be, uh, associated with. You're trying to stay out of prison. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Or, yes, and that's a please short don't answer. investigate me, FBI. You're busy in Florida, <clears throat> and and plus that you know the, honestly, as soon as I turned in that petition, all the all the wag I had been friendly with a lot of them, and they kind of circled the wagons and said, yeah. "Oh, you can't petition us. We're you know you have to stay on the inside." So as soon as that happened, there was no more friendliness or anything. Yeah. So all of a sudden, it's cutthroat. Right. So um, have the have the other area like that's Delaware County has yeah. Madison County or Henry County have they been have you been interacting with those county parties at all or is it just uh, Delaware County's inter- been the, the I haven't interacted part. with Henry County at all I know that um, I know that uh, my opponent is 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 in good with you know the Madison County group and I haven't approached them maybe I should yeah, at least have one county on your side man yeah. You're in Newcastle <laughs> know, today right I know I know so, I'm gonna go you, talk to Henry County tomorrow uh, yeah. you mentioned uh, whenever we were. We, we set up this uh, this group chat for the uh, for preparing for the show. You actually mentioned uh, like running outside, just like you had said, mm-hmm. running outside of the establishment. And I thought that was really interesting because it's like every single uh, Republican that's been running for a national office that we've had on the show has brought up being anti-establishment. Mm. Um, and I I hadn't heard a, somebody uh, on the left side say that before. There is a I guess it's not largely hidden all the media outlets, but there's a wave of progressive candidates running all over the country and even many in Indiana and they're challenging in the primary and a lot of them are getting pushed back from the party. If you look at the, the Democrat caucus mm-hmm. in, in the Indiana state Senate right now, mm-hmm. <clears throat> probably the establishment needs a little bit of help no, because that's... <laughs> all of the state senators could fit in this studio and it's a third bedroom in a, in a 1920s row house in Henry County, 1914, 1914. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's right. So it's how, not a huge caucus. How can they say we're doing it right? Yeah. You know, that's essentially, uh, when I announced and started talking to some, um, local people, I'm not going to name names, but they, um, initially it's always it was, more fun if you do. <laughs> I know. <laughs> initially the response was really positive and then they kind of came back and said that, um, well, you know, we don't really want a primary in that race. Uh, you don't have to spend money on it. And I was like, well, I really believe in the process, and I really think that people need choices. And since the Democrats aren't exactly slaying elections here, <laughs> then maybe we should have some choices for the position, you know, Absolutely. and let the people decide. And then the stronger candidate moves forward and maybe does better in the general. So That, that, it, that right there is exactly what makes a, dem- a uh constitutional republic like ours work yeah that's that is the foundation of our system and i think it's really honorable of you to step up and fight up against that it's really cool thank you i appreciate it and uh i'm having fun with it that's the whole goal stuff like this i think this is uh phenomenal because it's not easy when you're outside the establishment to find places to get out there and talk about the issues so well this will be uh obviously this this podcast is uh is available on itunes uh, we are on Indiana Talks, which is the number one progressive radio station in Indiana, believe mm-hmm. it or not. We're on Indiana Talks, Saturdays, Sundays at noon. Uh, of course, we have the Facebook live feed, and people can go back and watch that. And then we're on YouTube as well in glorious high definition. Yep. So, so whenever, lots and lots of ways to watch it, watch and communicate with the Boss Hog Liberty. Whenever you're chilling at home on uh, on Saturday and Sunday, right around that noon time, you can just uh, go to your Amazon Alexa and say, Hey, Alexa, play Indiana Talks on TuneIn. 
and you will hear our beautiful voices. Or you can tell your uh, little Google uh, Chrome or your Google Home device. Uh, okay, Google. Uh, see, this is a podcast divided uh, yeah, right yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you say, okay, Google, play Boss Hog Liberty on YouTube, and it plays the latest show. Now, you realize that we just hacked everybody. Everybody that's listening Amazon. right now. It just <laughs> happened, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why I did it. So uh, tell me, Dave, do you think that the Trump administration, the Trump and Pence being in the White House, do you think that that has helped or hurt your overall chances if you were to win the primary? That's a that's a good question. Um, I think it's probably too soon to tell. Um, I think a lot of people are expecting a big uh, blue turnout in 18. Um, I'm hoping that translates into the primary, too. Um, you know, as you know, the midterm primary is generally a, a, a really low turnout election. So right. I'm, I'm hoping for a big turnout there, and I'm hoping for a big turnout in the general. And... Um, and I think that I think that we've seen some indications that there's going to be a big uh, a big uh, blue blue wave. So we'll see what happens. But it's too early to tell. And a lot of you know, as you know, a lot of things depend on the economy and what's going on at the time and national issues. So if you are elected to the state senate, the uh, the legislature gets to draw their own districts, mm-hmm. and the, the district you're in now is crescent shaped at, at best. I guess it's a big C, yeah. uh, <laughs> so kind of carving out the rural areas around uh, around Anderson and Muncie. Yeah, um, it's got some scribbles on it, like yeah. it's driven uh, written back toddler. <laughs> <laughs> so it carved out a nice uh, a nice conservative district for the uh, for the current senator. Mm-hmm. Um, 2022 will be the first year. So we've got a couple more cycles before we, we switch to new maps. So this is the time where people start talking about gerrymandering and redistricting and what's going to happen. There was a bill uh, before the Indiana General Assembly that just got killed this yeah. last week yeah. uh, that was going to going to deal with redistricting. What where are you at on that? What what's your what's ideal to you if you're a part of the process? What what should happen? Well, we definitely need, you know, gerrymandering reform. It needs to be. Um, you know, redistricting, and as I tell my kids when we talk about some of these issues, it's like none of these issues are simple or we would have fixed them by now. But, um, you know, going back to the 60s when we decided that, you know, we had to redraw districts uh, every 10 years based on census and population, um, we've never really laid out a complete set of rules on how to how to redraw districts fairly. And so, <clears throat> so you know, there's three basic uh, different ways that people talk about redrawing districts, and one of them is with a nonpartisan, neutral commission, right? Which is the Iowa model. Iowa does that now. Yeah. So, uh, what do you think? How do how do you draw a district that is nonpartisan and, and just overall more better? <laughs> right. Lack of a better term. Like how how do you do that? What what constitute? What constitutes that? So it's, I mean, it's it's based on um, population, then it's also based on the type of population. So it's so supposed to be fair. Um, you know, it's supposed to be fair racially, and it's supposed to be fair size wise. Uh, what happened was we, I think, a, a period of time we hadn't redrawn districts. Some of them hadn't been redrawn for like forty and fifty years, and so that was when the rural migration was happening to cities, and so you had. <laughs> Underrepresented well, urban areas and, and places like Henry County having more political power than they should. Yeah, you had very few people to one single representative. And so that's supposed to be kept in balance. Um, it would be a lot easier for us if we didn't redraw districts, but I certainly understand the 
the uh, desire to keep things fair and equal. So I the the second model is the computerized right. model of redrawn districts, and I think that has a lot of potential. Um, using a logarithm to you put in all the different variables, and the computer draws draws out the districts. Um, I, I, one of the concerns that I hear from constituents is just that you know they want to know they want to have a basic understanding of where the lines of their district is. Yeah, you know, and so. Delaware County, part of Delaware County is in the district, part of Henry County is in the district, part of Madison County, you know, and it's like, it would be nice if you could put whole counties in, in districts whenever possible um, to make, just so people could have an understanding of, of. I'm in Henry County. I'm in this district. Like, it, yeah, just simple. Everybody knows if they're what county they're in. Everybody should know what district they're in. So uh, when we drew last time. Uh, there were the Secretary of State, Todd Rokita, he was, before he was a congressman, he was Secretary of State. He had come up with a plan, Chase, that basically was going to be nesting. So if you have a state Senate district, that's basically you have, a, you have 50 state Senate districts and 100 state representative districts. In each state Senate district, there was two House of Representative districts drawn in there. That was mm-hmm. the way they set it up so that you knew that everybody that had that state representative or had that state senator had the state same state rep. or whatever. You know, you just yeah. rolled up. Uh, it was very simple, very easy. Um and then they threw that away when they they did make an improvement, at least when they when they gave us these districts. When the first maps that came out in 2010, 2011, where we're sitting right now was in the same state Senate district as Irvington, Indiana, all the way to Center Township. So downtown Indianapolis from, you know, 50 miles east. And if you could tell me what in the world we had in common, <laughs> you know, it was, you know, basically the, the I-70 and Indiana 40 corridor was what they followed. Yeah. Um, you know, they they have to have population centers that are there at least in common. You know, your area, you know, Albany and, and you know, somebody in Bluntsville at least are rural, right? Right. There's at least that similar commonality, but, you know, it, yeah. it's it's very difficult to explain to people why those are, why they're carved up the way they are. Well, and, and District 26 is a, is a perfect example because it was drawn to be rural and suburban so that that was uh, – a district that was designed to not hold. So it's a 60-40 split, and it's supposed to stay that way, you know, uh, 60% Republican, 40% Democrat. And that's what they want um, in the, uh, one district that isn't competitive at all. So, uh, you know, Pennsylvania, you can't go back to how you said, how do we redraw these um, uh, without bias? Uh, Pennsylvania, uh, the Supreme Court ruled and said that they were going to redraw the districts because they were no longer – you know, fair and equal access to voting. <clears throat> and so they did, you know, I don't know if you ever saw the districts in Pennsylvania. They were actually probably worse than Indiana's in the way that they were gerrymandered. And um, as we all know, that was a, a 50, uh, you know, it's pretty close to a 50-50 split. It's one of the states that, that swings both ways. Trump mm-hmm. won. Trump won Pennsylvania. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it and it was, um, but the districts were aligned to where I believe it was, uh, seven out of ten districts were um, going Republican instead of Democrat, even though the split is about fifty-fifty. And it was so. So they redrew those districts, and it's ex- expected to be more equal and fair. Um, and that's, I suppose, Supreme Court is not the ideal way to redraw districts. You know, we want a more of a nonpartisan commission, and there's debate on whether or not you can actually have a nonpartisan commission. I, I think that you can, but, you know, I think a lot of people favor the logarithm method. But, you know, actually third-party people, and this is this is a little bit complicated to get into, but the ranked choice, have you heard of that? 
Yeah, so you go in and you take top two or something. You know, yeah. you go in, you have everybody in a in a catch all pool basically, and you don't have primaries. Right now in Indiana, we we bang this drum all the time. Oh yeah, we also bang the drum on on Sunday sales, and we won that one for you as libertarians. So we're we're gonna bang this drum. Uh, <laughs> we're working on the, this weed primary notes. that we're gonna have in Give May. Me the weed. <laughs> <laughs> this primary we're gonna have in May. Everybody pays for. So you had to pay for fresh time, and I, you know, probably won't ever use it, and it's competing against you. I, as a libertarian candidate, I pay for my own state convention, my own county convention that I'll go to. Um, yep. We have to pay for the Democrats and Republicans to have all of their people show up and to pick their candidates instead of having it at a private convention. So <laughs> it's, you know, if we could if we could eliminate the convention system completely. Maine have, is supposed to do some ranked choice elections. Did you hear that? No. Yeah, they're they're uh, they haven't actually put it into effect, but they voted on it, and they're uh, deliberating on it. So <clears throat> it's an interesting way. So how often does something like this happen, where they redraw the the districts? Ten years. So, yeah, yeah every every ten, ten years. Once every ten years, unless you get uh, unless you're like Pennsylvania and you get uh, <laughs> sued and you have to change. Uh, you, you get your hand forced. Yeah, it's right. based and, on the census every ten years. And okay. you brought up uh, suing lawsuits and things. Our, I don't know if you, if any of the listeners remember this, or if you guys remember this, but um, a few months ago, after I went to one of the Newcastle City Council meetings, they actually voted on a proposal to uh, to sign a petition as the city to uh, give to the state house against gerrymandering. So it was in support of gerrymandering reform in this new short in this latest short session in the in the legislature, and um, our city signed it. Um, a lot of cities signed this petition, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, it still died. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I I just read in the in this Indie Star article that uh, Mr. David Long, the the Republican representative from uh, Fort Wayne said that he just flat out came out and said that like the majority of people in his caucus are against redistricting reform. I it blows my mind that a public official would come out against it. like and I think that comes with uh, a lot of people just aren't educated on it. Yeah. That's a big deal. Yeah, and it's a it's an issue that that confuses people, um, but it's if you sit down and you spend about ten minutes on it, you get a pretty good grasp of what's going on with with gerrymandering and redistricting, and and um, and I think that's what it's going to take. We're going to have to force it through, and we're going to have to elect people that are pro uh, that are against gerrymandering, and um, that's what it's going to take. Absolutely. So, so another platform item you have is something that is finally. Uh, sailing through the uh, the general assembly and that's the cbd oil mm-hmm. and we were talking before the uh, microphones were turned on uh you've it's a product you carry in your stores yeah we've sold it in our store um we've been following the, the laws and the law changes closely and um it's on the shelves off the shelves and, right you know, put try, it on take it off put try, it on take it off trying yeah. to stay on the good side of the excise cops <laughs> yeah yeah and it's important we want to be in compliance with the law uh, the people really uh, came together on this one and demanded it. And um, I think you have to give credit to WTHR. I think they pretty much led the charge on investigating uh, why all at once excise had taken upon themselves to go out and uh, enforce a ban on that. Uh, there again, 49 other states, totally legal, <laughs> totally fine. Yeah. This was this is us. And, the, and I, I think the lawmakers are going to expect a big pat on the back for yeah. doing something that should Thanks be for up. fixing something you said yeah. you fixed last year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the uh, the magic number, I guess, is 0.3% THC. 
mm-hmm. uh, any more than that. And then I guess it's a scheduled narcotic or a scheduled drug. Right. Um, is that like the industry standard or can you accidentally in a book order, oh, shoot, I ordered the 0.6 THC and we're all going to jail? I, I think that that's uh, the industry standard. I think they pretty much have hit that um, because that's hemp. Right. And hemp is, is pretty much is going to have be below that 0.3 or right at the 0.3 level. And uh, I think that if you get above that, it's got to be added in in most cases. So it's right. I think that's I think that's a pretty good level. So the, the Senate bill manufacturers I talked to. So the Senate bill 52 that actually deals with industrial hemp and CBD oil just passed through the House. Mm-hmm. So they're saying it's going to be sent to a, uh, a, a, a summer study committee and it's then it will end up on the governor's desk if it makes it through that yeah, committee. I saw so, that. <laughs> I saw that. But, Not quite and, as sailing as we wanted. But. Yeah. And you by, know, by the Indiana legislators, uh, <laughs> legislature standards, sailing, sailing yeah. with the anchor down. So Melanie Wright, <laughs> by the way, she totally called that whenever she came on our show. She was like, yeah, with the CBD oil, I think it's a good thing. But I'm telling you guys right now that it's going to end up in a summer study committee and whether it the makes it out of there or not. Yeah, yep. you're, it's, you know, that's a toss up. She totally called that. And that was that was pretty cool that she did. But uh, and then the House Bill fourteen seventy five actually introduced uh, industrial hemp, and apparently we have a thing called the State Seed Commissioner that that <laughs> of course we that did. adopts rules to implement the laws that concern industrial hemp. Uh, I mean, do you know anything about this? Like, no, what is I a don't. seed commissioner I, as a farmer? Like uh, that? I had no idea. This has got to be a new thing, I guess. I, I don't. Uh, I don't know anything about it. I'm hoping that that's a new thing since I don't know anything about it. <laughs> the, um, you know, look, hemp used to be grown in this state. Um, I'm not sure what year it became a Schedule One, and we stopped being able to produce it, but it was a huge farm crop. I have some old photographs of what was the advent of tractors, so it had to be, you know, 40s um, when they became widespread. And they grew a lot of hemp, and it was used for rope, and it was used in the war effort, and it was used for industrial purposes, and it's got a very high oil content, so it can be used for paper and clothing and a lot of different things, and it's just it's just outrageous that we've yeah. wrapped it up for so long. So you're, you're yes on hemp. That yes on hemp. You're yes on THC. On or, CBD. On, on, on CBD. <laughs> I'll get there. You're yes on CBD. Trick question. <laughs> you're, uh, gotcha. The, the medical, medical cannabis, you're a, you're a yes, I assume? I am a yes on medical cannabis, you yeah. know. And um, then you're going to say I'm running for public office, so I'm against re- recreational? <laughs> I did not. I have not said I'm against recreational. Um, you know, look, it, it's a matter of time, right? I mean, let's let's not kid ourselves. It's just like, I mean, Sunday alcohol sales... That was a matter of a really long time, but we all assumed that at some point it was gonna we were gonna have our rights to be able to consume and buy alcohol on the Sunday restored. Yeah, we'll have to wait until about six years after everybody else in the nation does it. So how long are we <laughs> gonna have to wait? I mean, and meanwhile, Colorado is um, what in 2015 they taxed it and put 80 million dollars into their school building fund. Right. You know, doesn't solve every problem. Yeah, but, but Muncie. Uh, has gone the other direction, and we just took our one of our schools and turned it into a jail. <laughs> right. So it's going to be fine. Right. Yeah. So, so we that, should pass. So our, so our current policies are working. Yeah. So we should yeah. pass weed for the kids. Is that what we're saying? <laughs> yes. And it, and it, you know, there's been so much stuff in the news about school safety. Oh, look, we have a revenue fund now. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, I'm very passionate about public education and. 
um, you know, as we've taken away revenue from schools, we haven't replaced it. Um, you know, when we capped property taxes, okay, fine. But we didn't, we didn't, re- we said, okay, well, you guys can create a new tax if you want to, a local option income tax. Well, we all know how popular new taxes are. We got one here for public safety. Right. And they added a quarter of a percent to my, uh, <clears throat> to my income tax. And they've been really hesitant to do that for schools. I don't, you know, uh, you know, we, we, we should be giving this, we should be giving the districts, you know, um, more re- in, uh, revenue streams because we've taken away large amounts and we've lost, uh, our, our public schools are in, are in danger right now. And, and we need to, we need to be fully funding them and embracing them because that's, that levels the playing field for kids. So what, what's your solution? Is it, do you think we just need to adjust the tax caps up or do you want to say we're going to add an extra percent to our income taxes or what's the, What's your solution to that one? I, th- I think we need to look at, at options. Uh, it's uh, I, I'm not saying we should ad- that it should be tied to property taxes. I just think that uh, revenue needs to be available. You know whether we're whether we're looking at new forms of industry that we can make legal that we can tax or um, you know we've got a, a comprehensive plan to wrap up rural economies. Um, you know we're going to have to figure it out. We're going to have to come together. And and one thing we know for sure is that. Uh, schools are are underfunded and and teachers are undervalued. So you speaking of schools, and you talked about rural communities. Uh, one thing that you have talked about on your on your platform on on your website is mm-hmm. uh, increased CAFO regulations, which mm-hmm. is a uh, uh, confined animal feeding operations, and mm-hmm. uh, that's been a big issue. It was a big issue whenever we had Tom Saunders, our state rep, on. Yeah. Um, and it's been a big issue in Delaware County as well. Mm-hmm. Um. On your website, you said that CAFOs lead to lower property values. They pollute the air and the water and can lead to a decreased population in rural areas. Mm-hmm. With that in mind, with the, with your opinion on that, what regulations do you think could, could fix those issues, if there are any? Well, uh, I don't know that that's an issue for, for me personally that I can say is fixable. I think that the CAFO system, the confined feeding operation – whether it's CAFO or CFO, is 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 not a good system to be producing our food in. I I, I personally believe that um, you know pasture based systems are creating a higher quality of food. Uh, they're putting more people to work on the land. They're better for the economy. They're better. People want to live next to them. Um, these are these are industries, and a lot of times they're owned by multinational corporations. The animals, in this case, in this eight thousand hog, eight I've heard eight to ten, eight to ten thousand hog farm, wouldn't be owned by the guy whose whose land they're going to be on. We're talking about a proposed the a proposed operator in in Delaware County. Yeah, in Delaware County, there's a there's um, been a permit applied for for a eight to ten thousand hog confined feeding operation, and it would be a confined animal feeding operation. But I don't think that they have a discharge permit, which makes it a confined feeding. Right, operation. exactly. And they're already, you know, the the capos are they're already licensed. Um, if we're if we're getting into my uh, my personal opinion, mm-hmm. I I I don't know that much about it. I live in town. I'm yeah. not a farmer. Yeah. I really wish that Cade Coger could have been here but for this he's, episode. He's not a real farmer. Yeah, <laughs> he's not a real farmer. We we've already. I was on the that. fence the whole time, Big and farmer. then when I heard that, I was like, I knew it. Yeah. yeah. But uh, but CAFOs are actually, you know, they're 
their farm operations that have more than a thousand animal units is how we uh-huh. is how we define them and that's how we come up with the licensing um but my my biggest thing is is that like i you know if you see the pictures online of course you're going to come across the the PETA articles that say you know oh you know these are horrible they're mistreating the animals they these farmers they just kick and abuse their cows all day long they don't actually care about them but then you talk to actual farmers you talk mm-hmm. to people like Cade you talk to um the Neesons that live out in Louisville and uh it that's not the case they they love their animals they mm-hmm. really want to take care of them the best that they can and then i have this nagging question that's in the back of my head that it says, are, like, how else are we going to be able to feed, mm. uh, you know, the 7 billion people on the planet? Sure. You know? It's the scaling up, the scaling up issue where, you know, how can you produce enough pork or beef or poultry in your pasture solution? Or is that a niche market? No. Yeah. And, and that's those are all good, good points and good questions. They. Yes, we can produce enough um, on our pasture-based operations. One of the issues that is um, that continually nags at you know you can see it in the American healthcare system, you can see it in our nutrition, you can see it in our farms, is that we have an addiction to super cheap food, and we subsidize heavily subsidize the production of food in this country. Oh so, yeah. So super cheap corn. And super cheap soy is fed in these confined feeding operations. Yep. So that lowers their costs dramatically. And that makes the production model go large in order to sell super cheap pork. Right. right? Yeah. And the but, dairy the dairy industry is virtually collapsing in the United States right now. Super right, yeah, cheap. Milk yeah, prices have gone way down. But the, I guess the – it's like an economic – side as well right because you want you want to have lower cost food so that you can feed people that aren't as, as affluent you know it not everybody is able to spend yep. 13 dollars on you know a, a pound on on beef whereas they can spend a dollar 99 on poultry you know it, right. a boneless skinless chicken breast right. you know it, it's that you know it, it's, it, it's that balance you have and i don't know how you scale up unless you unless you also enter and enact some of the other social safety net where we're just gonna go ahead and Give everybody food uh, for free. I don't know how. I don't know how you, you get that to wash. We're going to have to do something to help develop a sustainable food system in this country. And we're it's good. It's going to. I used to think that we could do it just on market demand. I don't believe that anymore. I think that it's going to have to be. I think it's we're going to have to subsidize it because we've lost all of our infrastructure. Um, the um, we've lost so many. Um, shared cooperative processing things that used to be in every town. You know, our rural areas are, are decimated. We don't have an agrarian culture anymore. You've got one person for every 10,000 acres, you know, farming. And uh, the the quality – so let's back up. Early 1900s, an American used to spend 30% of their income on food. Now that's down to somewhere between 8 and 10%. Right. Yep. And – but we pay way more in taxes to subsidize yeah. large yeah. corporations that aren't, you know, growing our food in a responsible way. And then we have higher health care costs. We have high fructose corn syrup and everything. And, you know, we have childhood obesity and all these other issues because our food 
our, our, our diets in this country have gotten so bad. And we've got people struggling to find out how they can eat less. <laughs> yeah. And, it, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of glad that you brought that up because I think that uh, one of the one of the things and say what you will about this, but uh, one of the things that this box lunch, this uh, this boxed meal plan that that the Trump administration put out replacing mm. SNAP, mm. one of the things, one of the great things that I think has come out of it is talking about the pricing of healthy foods and talking about the obesity epidemic amongst America's poor population because it's huge yeah. and it's a it's a disaster and our current system has caused an abortion with the horrible nutrition that we are feeding the people who rely on assistance. It's it's terrible. Something needs done. If you go back about 18 months in the Courier Times, I wrote a letter to the editor about farming subsidies, what we can do to help lower the cost of fresh produce, and the things that I think that we can do as far as a, a, a free market standard and now that we're talking about this, I might just put this in a blog post on the Boss Hog of Liberty website <laughs> because I, I don't want to take bill, up too much of your time. No, the farm bill is the iron triangle that's so hard to break. So you've got the farm bill that comes out of Congress, yep. right? And that money for a long time went in direct payments. Now a lot of it goes towards crop insurance subsidies, which is they've just shifted it from one column to the next. But it goes to the farmer. The farmer doesn't get to keep much of that. He passes that on to um, chemical companies and seed companies, which have which are really expensive. And you're locked into those producers. You're locked into the seed company, and you're locked into the chemical that goes with it. And then that money, in turn, goes from the lobbyists back to Congress. Congress votes through the farm bill. And it just goes back and forth. And it's been mm -hmm. locked in for a really long time. A and, vicious circle. And they balance it with the um, – they always they always attach it to the, to the food stamps. You put SNAP in it, yeah. And then it's, it gets voted through because nobody wants to lose either one. And then they – and it's it's a, it's vicious. Um, but there are – there is a future in, in sustainable agriculture. And there's a lot of farmers out there that are doing amazing work that are finding ways to do it. And if we put one-tenth of the investment into sustainable agriculture that we put into industrial, we would see amazing innovations. We'd see better quality food, and we'd see more people back to work in rural areas. So I'm always I'm always an advocate for markets. <clears throat> and I, you know, I, I just literally yesterday PayPal'd money to the lady that raises my hog, that, hogs, that ha raises hogs for me. So I buy a side of a hog mm -hmm. once a year or twice a year. Uh, have it, you know, so she, she raises it here in Henry County. I have it processed in Winchester and I come back and it's exactly the way I want it. So that's, that works for me. Yeah. Uh, and it's, but it's a choice I get to make. Um, I just, I still don't know how, how it's going to, how it's going to scale. You know, this is the sustainable pasture, the pasture process. Um, that said, if the market, you know, if, if everybody goes out and they say they want to go with that process or that, that route, then you're going to get pricing that's going to signal to the market, hey, I need to raise more, more people need to get into that space, and it's going to, it's going to go. All right. Well, we had uh, – and, and you know how this works nationwide. We had um, some really good momentum on uh, – we've kind of been through this at the farm stand on the whole um, you know, farm-to-table and organic movement. And there was a lot of education, and people were really turned on to understanding like – what companies like Monsanto have done, uh, you know, with um, 
controlling operations and forcing, you know, suing farmers and all these different things. And, um, and then they sunk 300 to 400 million into a PR campaign to change their image and to confuse and to make um, organic and sustainable not look as good or to make it a gray area. And we're seeing the effects like that's, it's a complicated world to just have it develop from the free market only, you know, um, engaged, educated consumers are the same issue that we have in the voting booth. You know, getting people to show up to vote is just as hard as getting people to think about where their food comes from. Yeah, but I, I look at that the same way that I look at the at the wind issue and I look at the uh, renewable resources issue in the fact that we subsidize these issues so much. And it was actually a study that was done in the USSR that the more the government poured money into things, it the <clears throat> they would pour money into one single product. So we're pouring money right now into one set of industrial wind turbines because that's what we want. That's what the consensus has been is the best. And over time, it steadily increases, right? The... the uh, the quality of that product steadily increases. With a free market, however, if you if you don't do that, things have a tendency to cliff off, and then they jump right back down to where it's horrible, we don't have anything, and then they go up again, and then at the very end, we end up with a product that is much better, that has saved the government and the taxpayers a lot of money. And I think that that same logic can be applied to farming and to... Uh, using sustainable farming methods, I think I think it can too. The, uh, let me back up and say when I say we we subsidize or we put money into it, that can involve we have to be really smart about it, and that can involve education. You know, like our land grant universities, Purdue. Yeah, they could do much more. You know, their their organic and sustainable ag programs are token, and yeah. because of that. Indiana lacks far behind in the Midwest between Illinois, Ohio, Michigan, and organic acreage per capita and so a number there, of organic farms. Are there specific okay. programs or projects that you want to see Purdue Agriculture involved in? Yeah, well, I'd like to we, – we need um, – uh, and I'm working on a, a bill right now with some people who are in the know that we could potentially um, put forward at a later date, but – um, we need a central agency in um, in the state that can um, do everything from certify to help educate producers. What I see in the organic world is a lot of burnout. You know, so you get into it, you work really hard for ten years, and you have trouble selling your product, and you have trouble finding exactly what people want and what shape and what form. I mean, right. it's complicated. And then you're like, you give up, you know, and yeah. and we see that a lot. So getting in there and helping new startups and then also helping the producers who have made it to that next level, giving them financial training, you know, and, and making sure that they can make it uh, long term and pass it on. Um, we could do that through, and I say certification, you know, because we need a central certifying unit and they can work really well in that from that form to also doing educational seminars and conferences and, and working with people on the farms and too. So I, why, I, why <laughs> you want it, you want the state to, to provide that certification, I guess. And that's going to, who, who's going to, who's going to be on the other side of that. You want to show that to consumers saying, Hey, I'm state certified as 
having well you know, state, state certified. certified organic, state certified. You know, I've, I've got financial planning. What what are you looking for from that? Well, I mean, I'm I'm always looking at it from the organic perspective. I mean, I think. Um, you know, we're in this battle right now to kind of take our organic standards back. Um, they're constantly under attack from big ag and big food to try and water down the standards. And that's been going on since uh, the mid 2000s. So do you guys not have somebody like under like UL, like underwriters, laboratories, it's not a government organization. Well, we use the but, USDA organic label right. and, and the, the, the standards are constantly getting changed through Congress and through writers and bills attached to other things and right y'all just need an independent organization instead of <laughs> well we had that getting your authority to congress we had that and they were largely based around that's what we had before the usda and then we had this call that people wanted you know you could you trust one thing from one state to another when you were crossing state lines and there were different you know right. california certified organic might do things from Differently from the Ohio Ecological Food and Farm Association to the Indiana certified, you know. If you can, be, if you can trust one government, you can trust them all, right? <laughs> and, you know, the the USDA is no joke, man. Like, they're, they're serious business. I've, I've watched them. I have personally watched one man in the USDA office force a, a, a meat. Well, I guess I shouldn't go too far into this. Uh, but I've, I've seen them force companies to throw away thousands and thousands of dollars of meat because one piece was had a, a piece of plastic in it from a conveyor belt like, yeah you should talk that's to no joke dude. Greg, like greg gunthorpe is one of the first small farms if not the first to build a certified usda processing plant on his farm so he could um, sell pork and chicken across state lines so he can go into to chicago and <clears throat> otherwise you have to sell it if you're state certified you have to sell it right inside of indiana can't cross state lines yeah so i want to so, I want to bring up something that Cade said. Cade is watching on the on the live stream, and he's a farmer. Sure, uh, here fake farmer, but farmer, yeah, fake farmer. Uh, but he said uh, his comment on the live stream is: "We're looking at almost 10 billion people in the world by 2050. Only two percent of the current population are farmers." And while he agrees that sustainability for the production of our food, as well as the farms themselves, should be the focus, whether you operate out of a CAFO or a pasture-based farm, it is. Not a good food versus bad food argument between grass-fed slash organic to grain-fed, grain-fed, grain-fed. <laughs> it says fed, Dakota. Yeah, grain-fed <laughs> industrial. He has industrial in quotation marks. Animal production. That's just a marketing to justify the higher prices in a freer market. I mean, what do you think about that? Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, we're gonna have some some fundamental disagreements on things. I mean, uh, eighty. Eighty-two percent of U.S. farm household income is suspected is expected to come from off-farm work this year. Eighty-two percent. Yeah, you've got a farmer, and then the farmer's wife has to go to work, and you've got a side gig where you're you're putting in drain tile or you're selling seed. You're doing something on the side. So, like we said about you know Democrats in Indiana, it's obviously not completely working. You know the way it is now. Um, then the when you have um, Number to represent egg industry where less than 200 farms produce 95% of the eggs in this country and 90, uh, 34% of the hogs are produced on yeah. company farms such as Tyson or Hormel. I mean, it, 
who knows by 2050 we could all just be growing meat in a lab somewhere and none of this is going to matter i've heard stories about that, that <laughs> yeah. is i mean they say it's gonna... i will not be in partaking in that oh, man. <laughs> i just watched a documentary on that the other day and i had no idea how close we actually are well, to that. what's the like, documentary called because i've heard a lot of stuff about it and it always I, freaks me out see i don't remember but I, it was on hulu and like it came across my recommendations and it was eye-opening because i thought you know Oh yeah, that's like the the Jetsons, you know, way in the future, three thousand and eighteen. Not now, but uh, this this was saying in like the next twelve to fifteen years. <laughs> if, if you look at the, uh, I had family that grew up in Dunkirk, and Dunkirk's a perfect example. Not to pick on them or anything, but I, I had family that went back there f- for a long time, and that used to be a thriving little town. And, and granted, they've lost some industry. But it was also it was a glass a, town, right? Was yeah, it, it was a glass town. Yeah. And it was a farm hub. And yeah. and you look these towns that have lost their agrarian farming culture, you know, and you've got decimated populations that um, are, have, you know, number one, the populations are way lower, so they can't support the businesses like they could. And you've got the people who are left there that basically can't get out <laughs> or, or maybe they would have or they like it there, but there's no opportunity. There's no jobs. And, um, you know, the opioid use is way up and the meth use is up. And and in in some ways, it's the disintegration of that, of the culture and the agrarian culture that has led to what, you know, the cultural term would be cultural disintegration, you know, where yeah. things just aren't working anymore. Absolutely. So we've just got a couple of minutes left. Let's, let's kind of highlight on those two things. You've got areas that we'll say need re- redevelopment, economic redevelopment mm-hmm. of some sort. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then this void that's been created because of because of pol- different we can we can assign blame a number of different ways. We've got this opioid deal where every, you know we've got horrible heroin and and painkiller issues. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, it, in, in your campaign, those are both things that you've talked about and you've been focused on. What's the what's the Dave Ring solution, uh, or or what do you bring into the table to the state house on on economic development and and on the opioid issue? Yeah, I definitely don't have the the solution, but I have you know ideas that, um, you know, at that, I, I think of, and as I've said before, I think education um, and our schools are really important in this fight because we can we can educate, start educating more kids at the K through 12 level <clears throat> about the dangers of just what a, a dead end road this is to, to go down. And it's, I, I think if we just can hammer that through that we'll see, you know, these kids who are on the fringe and kind of, you know, uh, cast aside by society for different reasons. You know, maybe they don't have strong, you know, parental roles at home or or whatever the case is. You, you can fall into that opioid trap so easily. And it's it's one that you just takes one wrong turn. And I think if we can talk more about that to kids, about how it's one bad decision that can ruin the rest of your life. Um, so do you see that, like, we have a D.A.R.E. program in a lot of schools yeah. still. Do you want to adapt the, something like that, or what's your, what are you thinking? Yeah, no, I think it, I think we need to do it more often and more frequently and to more kids until we start seeing the decrease, because right now whatever we're doing isn't working well enough. Okay. And we've got to get in and do it more. Um, and then economic development, you just want them to develop things that are not grocery stores? <laughs> <laughs> you mean in the rural areas? Yeah. or? Um, well, you know, my, in my economic development for rural areas is, is based around a sustainable agricultural economy. And as we start producing food again, because if you think about the corn and the soy that's in our rural areas, we don't really eat that and it's not produced here. So 
it's an industrial product that's shipped out. A lot of people think we eat our corn that's, that we see in every field, and we don't eat it. It's it's either used for it's, it's fuel, or it goes back in as a is an animal input, or, confined feeding operation, or high or, fructose corn syrup, or we turn it into syrup or another product with it. So, so we don't, but it's not a food product. And and if we could get back into producing our food, then we get all the spinoff businesses from that. Whether it's mills, uh, or whether it's uh, bakeries, or whether it's um, canning, uh, you know, all these different ways that we can create jobs just by producing our own food. And it's not, you know, it's not the popular politician uh, spiel because it's not an instant answer in four in four years, right? It takes time. Yeah, you're gonna have to have at least two terms to fix all this. <laughs> <laughs> at least two terms. And but you're only saying eight, so I know. At that you gotta go down. I'll to, switch gotta, to something else. You gotta go to governor. <laughs> so, so you said on your on your campaign site, and I have it pulled up, and it says that you support prescriptions for pseudoephedrine, which is if, if for those of people yeah. who don't know, is what you buy at at the grocery cold store, medicine. wherever. Yeah, yeah, cold medicine, and that's that's basically how you produce meth. And uh, it that's a, uh, I mean, I I guess that in this reason article and in, in the latest reason article, there was a there's a great article in the magazine that was written by. Jacob Solom, and it's about the uh, America's war on drugs, the opioid epidemic, all these things. And uh, the article starts out with a story of a of a young man who had a bad back, had his uh, final three vertebrae fused, and he was given prescription painkillers, and which is you know one of the one of the leading uh, gateways into a stronger drug addiction, or so Absolutely. we're told, and. Uh, so he had to jump through all these hoops to get his painkillers just to live a normal life. And then he went, his state actually implemented uh, pain pain pill counts to make sure he wasn't abusing them. Yeah. And yeah. he had forgotten that he had taken a week's worth and put them in his briefcase for a business trip and ended up uh, getting all of his pain medication taken away for the rest of his life. And yeah. I, I mean, so it, it just, I don't, I don't know the... I don't know the answer, yeah, and I don't think that anybody knows a real cut and dry answer. But I, I do think that it's interesting that you put on your platform the the prescription for that. I, so the pseudo- I don't know why I'd never seen it. The pseudoephedrine thing that's been up through the legislature before, and it gets uh, fought and voted down. Well, yeah. Um, so I, pseudoephedrine is the thing. You know, if I've got a really bad cold. Mm-hmm. You know, my, I'm stuffed up. I will go see the pharmacist. He said it's not. You can't just go to the counter and buy Sudafed. You've got to, You do have to consult with a pharmacist. Yeah, who's a you know MD. Yeah. A, 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 they've got a doctor to pharmacy or whatever. So you're yeah. going to a doctor. They're not giving you a script. Yeah, but you have that level of control. Why? I'm gonna I guess, I'm gonna play devil's advocate for a minute. Why do I need to go make an appointment to go see my doctor? It's going to cost me fifty bucks to get a script to go well, get Sudafed that I know that's what I need. It's supported by by doctors that I've talked to, and it, it's a principle now. Um, we tried to do this before, and it gets fought by the lobby. The pharmaceutical lobby fights it, right. and and but they want like, they want to keep like the sales. Just up. wants Sudafed's fighting it too, just because you're you're creating a burden. I, I understand, but I mean, I, I it's not your only option for a cold medicine, and no, but when it's the one that works, right? <laughs> and that At least one, for me, I, that I, one it, works for you. Yeah, yeah. but it's uh, it's a principle because we've. We've we've fought this on a large level based um, – like I doubt you've been at the state house lobbying about this. It's prob- it's about greed as the, has been fighting it at the state level. And no, that's not – that. yeah, I'm, I'm I'm literally the consumer that goes and has – you know, gives his driver's license and it says, well, sir, you've bought 
82% of what you're allowed to buy in the next year of, of Sudafed because, you know, it, it's just... And it's important to say right now, too, because somebody's sitting at home and saying, well, the pseudoephedrine's coming in from Mexico or from other places right now, black market in larger amounts. Build the wall. Which is... <laughs> I'm going to let that one go. <laughs> We're not wall builders. <laughs> the, uh, we don't even like David Barton. Just fence builders. <laughs> right. Three people got my David Barton joke, and they're uh, laughing their asses off somewhere. I didn't. <laughs> He's so old. <laughs> to me, the, to me, it's a, it's a, it's something, it's something that we should do because it's a, because of the principle that people are still able to get it and and use your, the, I forget what they call the chain of people that go in and get and will get pseudoephedrine from the farm uh, from the pharmacist and and use it to make meth and it's it's been so destructive to so many families and it's it's, um, I think there are other options out there, so so uh, maybe when you get a cold medicine, we'll sell you some fire cider or something. You can see, fair enough, see if it helps. The uh, I, I, we're treating symptoms. I don't think this is the root cause. I think I think creating a this is friendly advice from a from you know yeah. anarchist Jer over here. Uh, but <laughs> black and yellow, black. black yeah, I'm turning into it. It's uh, we're basically we're chasing symptoms instead of the root cause. You know, we've got the drug war is creating a whole lot of these issues. And we're saying, we're just going to inconvenience the guy like me that wants to go buy Sudafed twice a year. And now I got to go schlep down to Dr. Dinklage's and take it, take a half day off work to go get my prescription to go yeah. know, through the thing or call the teledoc and they'll call it in or whatever. It's just creating more hoops for me to go through to appease the government when I'm still, I'm going to get the same result, but now I'm going to be at a hundred bucks. Yeah. That's, that's the frustration I have. So it, if and when you're in the state house, I'll be knocking on your door complaining about this bill. But, All right, but it's, it's that's fair, fair enough. enough. Yeah. That is fair. Um, yeah, it's just um, it's a destructive one, and, and, and I, I know that it's a, it's a symptom. And if, if I had any, um, you know, where where I come in on these is, is with the lobbies, and when when lobbies fight stuff like that, that is, um, you know, their their reasons aren't so that you can go get your cold medicine. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's where that's where it sticks they're, in my crawl. They're protection. They're yeah. they're in the protectionist business. Yeah, which yep. is the same reason why you couldn't buy cold beer until this Sunday. Right. So, Absolutely. Dave, uh, how do people get involved in your campaign? Contribute? Follow you? Volunteer? What's the uh, what's the hookup? Yeah. So they can go to votedavering.com. dot com. That's our website, and you can uh, fill in your information on there to volunteer. And um, we've got a fa- Facebook page too. Vote Dave Ring. <clears throat> you can see what's going on. We've got a list of town halls to just put up today that we're engaging all across district 26 and we're excited about that you had a big fundraiser this last weekend we had a fundraiser our kickoff fundraiser last weekend went really well had great attendance um i'm working the kinks out of my stump speech and i'm excited to to keep giving that and to go out and have an issue focused campaign is there any maximum to the amount of money somebody can donate to you uh, there's no maximum, but I'm, I don't think I'm going to run into that problem. <laughs> I've, I've pledged not to take any donations from uh, large corporations, uh, lobbyists, or special interests. So. Okay, but individuals, if they want to write a check for five hundred bucks, a thousand bucks, they can. We're good to go. Yeah, we're good to go on that. All right, very there cool. Absolutely. Is there anything else we left out? Any platform issues or anything uh, that uh, that we needed to cover? Or we is this is this the the Basic, the Dave Ring basic version, the 101. Dave Ring light. That was Dave Ring light. Yeah, I think I think we're good there. I, I liked it. I had fun. Covered a lot of issues and, um, yeah. 
That was good, good stuff. Well, very I'm good. glad we you appreciate you joining us. us. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. That was great. Awesome. Very good. Chase, you got any final thoughts for us tonight? I've got a few things. All right. Uh, I have a question first. Have we heard anything more about the Doughboy? Any updates? <laughs> yes, for the viewers out there. I mean, is it back yet? Like this is uh, a this is a big rabbit hole that we don't want to get down. I have, however, been contacted by Mr. Mark Sean or the guy that has been heading up the 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 resistance movement, and uh, <laughs> and he did tell me that I need to attend the next uh, park board meeting. And his reasoning was is that it will get interesting. Oh, so, snap. Yeah. I'll, I'll hold the mic for we, you. We might have to do that. I might have to make a little trip out, out there to the Smith building. And, uh, you know, we'll see what comes out of it. We'll see if it actually gets interesting. Okay. The uh, the Doughboy has been sent out for refurbishment. It's a, a, a World War One monument. So the, uh, oh, this gotcha. is the spirit of the, uh, the American Doughboy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Henry County's had one. It's been, been in place for almost, uh, it's probably been in place for about 80 years, 89 years or so. Nice. Uh, and it's been sent away for refurbishment. The uh, Memorial Park Board uh, is having it refurbished, and they're wanting to relocate it in front of a, a building that's getting rehabbed. <clears throat> and now there's uh, there's two competing organizations. One wants it in the original site in the park, and the other one wants it in front of... Is that on Broad Street? Uh, Memorial Park is on State Road 3. Oh, okay. So it's the, uh, oh, gotcha. the big county park on the north side of town. Gotcha. Uh, so the, the existing location, or the previous location, was along State Road 3, kind of nestled back up on a hill. Um, and then the new location would be in front of the W.G. Smith building, the big auditorium. They're rehabbing that building, and the basement area would become a uh, veterans museum, and this would be put into... What's well, a parking lot now? It'll be a, like a plaza uh, hmm. there with some flagpoles, and that's the design that was accepted. So uh, there have been some changes on the park board. I think Chad Malico resigned. He's the park board president. He did. Yep. His presidency was just a little bit shorter than so, mine. I was a fan. Chase. I was a fan. I'm waiting for my shirt, by the way. I still haven't got to save the Doughboy shirt really? or wristband. Well, I'll see if Mark can bring us uh, bring me one to the next park board meeting. However, you just heard Chase say that uh, park board president Chase, Chad Malico. Say it. Or you just did, heard yeah. uh, Jeremiah say, sorry. I'll take credit, Chase. <laughs> No. <laughs> yeah, you have something else to take credit for if you accept the idea. But, um, you know, the park board president, Chad Malico, has resigned. So that means that there is an opening on the park board. And, you know, we did have a one boss hog of Liberty member that served on the park board. I think it's time to have I a second. I think it should be you. Oh no no no! I think no. you'd be perfect for so, that role. Not me. I'm 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 talking about you, buddy. I think that you, I think that you have a lot to offer. People can be kind of mean. I <laughs> I might consider it if I get a wristband and a shirt. The uh, <laughs> and you can do whatever you want with the doughboy at that point. You need right. Uh, that's how boards work. You need it's just one guy. Thick skin. We might move it every board. year. I might like have to wear it down down by the building one year and then back to the original spot the next year. I don't know. You're Next gonna... to the cannon one year. Yes. In the middle of the lake the next year. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Good idea. So the, yeah, uh... it'll be like a maze. You'll have to go find it or something. Yeah. A lot of compromise. Where's <laughs> the doughboy? <laughs> <laughs> I said from the beginning, at this point, it's going to be like Solomon where somebody cuts it in half and it's half in each location yep. and nobody's happy. Okay. <laughs> the, so the, the, the county commissioners are, uh, are ha- have another vacancy to fill. They, uh, they said last night at their meeting, I attended because I, this, I, I put in my bio for Purdue University that I just attend public meetings for fun sometimes. Mm. Um, <laughs> I sent that into them last week because I'm taking a Purdue trip. Uh, the uh, the commissioners, because of my departure, they had to go through this whole interview process. They finally got a full park board again, and 
Chad resigned. So they've got like six or seven different candidates they interviewed last time, and I think they're going to try to pull in the interest of time to get this appointment filled. I think they're going to try to pull from that group of people. Uh, but that said, you know, it's a they still have a county commissioners meeting to come up. So if some people are interested, send your resumes in and and make your case and and do your talking. And you never know, they may change their mind. They have changed their mind before. I, I still think that Chase should run, or not really run, but go De- and declare the his candidacy. Yes, I think that would be. All I do is win. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so moving on. Hashtag winning. What else you got? Chase? I, I have a story that you you'll like this one, Jeremiah. I always do. Maybe not the first part of it. So I had a little emergency room visit earlier this week, oh, uh, a couple weeks ago. Oh, no. I, Hopefully uh, let's be honest. I thought I was going to be the one with heart problems, man. Yeah. Hopefully it's no big deal. Not sure yet. But my grandma was in the room with me when the doctor came in and started ask, asking certain questions. Uh-oh. And one of them was, do you drink and smoke tobacco? <laughs> and I looked over at her, and I was like, Grandma, cover your ears. Earmuffs, <laughs> Grandma. She just said, go ahead, Chase. And I was like, occasionally. <laughs> and she took it okay. She did? But she knows now. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm sure deep down this she is was a safe like, place, oh, man. no. Yeah. You know, but. This has been a, a, this has a, been a recurring big deal with Chase is like every time he comes to the house or every time he does a podcast, it's like, hey, man, you want a beer? And he's like, um, better pour it in a glass. <laughs> <laughs> Like, so, but I mean, she didn't slap me or disown me, so yeah, we're moving good. in the right direction. Good. And then the last thing. At least you still have a grandma. That's true. <laughs> For all the sports out fans out there, mm-hmm. March too. Madness is coming up. Hoop season. Hoop season. It's one of the most exciting times of sports. I don't usually watch basketball a whole bunch, but during this time I will. I've learned for the people out there that like to, to set up brackets and stuff. The best way to pick the winner is to, to pick the team with the best-looking uniform. Oh, there we go. Are you sure away Oregon Ducks? Time. I like the Oregon Ducks. Um, I also like to go with Wichita State. What's their uniform look like? It's not that great. It's yellow and black. Black, black and yellow. Black and yellow. Yeah. They got some swagger. Like our New Hampshire friends. Yes. Yeah. We uh, back in back in the day, my brothers. He was also the Golden Eastside Golden Eagles, of Indianapolis. They were black and yellow, and we would go play national tournaments. And the national tournament was always in Wichita. We played the Wichita team, and our little crowd had some problems with the refs because they were Wichita based, and it was Wichita because they were just Wichita. brutal. Yeah, <laughs> so they were. We almost got thrown out of yeah, a homeschool Christian basketball tournament oh, over the Wichita chance. Jeremiah, uh, <laughs> I'm, I come from a rough crowd. <laughs> I'm. <laughs> <laughs> I am the most dysfunctional homeschooled kid you've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's actually true. I am. Like, yeah. It is true. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I'm not the skirt wearing crowd. Nope, the, the, the girls were. That was not what the girls I hung out with. <laughs> oh, anyway, that was weird. <laughs> Once again, the three homeschoolers that are listening are going, "Yep, he's exactly right." There, are, there is a, there's a certain scene. Of, uh, did you wear pants to school, or did you just... I was homeschooled, so I just, you know, whatever. Okay. <laughs> a lot of gym shorts. That's a, demogra- <laughs> that's a demographic now, right? Homeschool demographic. It is. It's a mm-hmm. very powerful uh, yeah. lobbying block. Mm. The Indiana Association of Home Educators is like a big pack. All you right. won't be taking your I money because they're an be organization. I won't be able to accept any yeah. losers. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, anything else for us, Chase? Uh, that's, that's about it. All right. Thanks for All having right. me. All right. We'll get that ticker better. I'm working on it. I hope so. All right. I'm liking the new look, though. Thank you. Yeah, we, you basically you gave your glasses to uh, to Dakota mm-hmm. and shaved your beard. Yes. That's good. That's what happens when you kill a guy. So, uh, <laughs> Zach Bertram wants to know, uh, if you win your NCAA pool, 
do you get paid immediately or do you have to wait like five years to see if like your champion Louisville, for example, gets decertified and then <laughs> and then the money goes to second place? How, how do I remember work? Michigan winning that year. I don't remember Louisville winning that. Yeah. Well, the Fab Five had their problems too. <laughs> Jalen Rose. And I those feel guys. so sorry, sorry for Dakota. those people. Yeah. Those fans. No, I have no idea. I feel so sorry for those fans. Like I, that doesn't affect literally anything except for the fans. Now right. they're just going to get a whole bunch of crap. Because that banner was taken down and taken away from him. Like, sorry, guys. I'm not a Louisville fan, but I think still I sucks. understand what's going on. Plus, God, God the same thing. This week, the their, same their thing flooded. happened to Notre Dame for football, but we didn't win that championship, so it didn't hurt as bad. I think I know what's going on here, and it sounds very sad. It just sounds very disappointing for everybody Basically, that was a involved. Team, a team won a championship. They got into some legal trouble not too long ago, and the, the NCAA made them. The take, NCAA didn't like them paying for yes, strippers and hookers. They took everything the away, basically. So then, see, I I have a lot to say about the NCAA and why I think that they are the worst organization in all of college. Is this from uh, Ben ever. Shapiro? Um, a little bit from Ben Shapiro. Some of it's from Owen Benjamin. Uh, some of it comes from the Rubin Report. And I, I said report because I keep thinking Colbert report. Colbert. Yeah, but. <laughs> well, let's let's try to save your NCAA well, we'll opinion for, for later, time for later because, in March. Yeah. Because we're running long and our poor guest is a hostage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm a willing hostage. If you, uh, you uh, he said, let's go two more hours. Have you got time? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't have to work tomorrow, so. Uh, it's you. Uh, you got any final thoughts for us, Dakota? I do have some final thoughts. Um, I... Got this uh, wonderful letter in the mail, and that well, I got an envelope, and it said it was from the state of Indiana Senate, and I was very confused. I was, like, what is this? It was a it was a letter from uh, State Senator Jean uh, Lysing. Yep, and uh, she she you know she sent this all out to everybody that participated in the uh, in the survey, which we encourage everybody on the show to do. I have not yet received um, the letter back. I'm just saying it's a big deal. It, this is addressed to the Davis household, and uh, it's for District 42. And by the way, I don't know if anybody can see it, but there's a actual handwritten note at the bottom of mine. Like I said one time on the show that I think that my letter to her um, actually helped her with her decision-making process. I took full credit for that, if you remember my arrogance. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, Very familiar and, with your arrogance. And now, now it is very much confirmed. <laughs> she said, uh, P.S., thank you for sharing your view, because whenever I fill out these surveys... I don't just tick like tick like the yes, no, or neutral. I write out like in I write out <laughs> no, in all caps. I like, will good. I will read into the record on. that all this caps. is not printed. This is a no. cursive that writing cursive, from Gene Lysen. It kind of looks like your handwriting, though. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever I got it, I analyzed it. Like I put it up to my face to make sure that it was actual pen, and it is. And uh, based on all my CSI knowledge. Because uh, Senator Lysing has an auto pen in her office. Yes. <laughs> but it says, uh, thank you for sharing your view on local control of schools. Sunday scale Sunday sales has passed, but cold beer did not. So, and I also got like this, uh, these poll results back, which was really cool. And uh, I am blown away. We talked about Sunday sales and the outrage. Only 48% of the people in District 42 for the state Senate supported Sunday sales. <laughs> <laughs> that was like... And I mean, they just supported were... not hearing about it ever again. Yeah, right? Uh, it was it was, it was was pretty funny. But, uh, yeah. Uh, and my, my second final thoughts are there's going to be some big news, big breaking news that is going to be breaking over the weekend in the Courier Times. 
I'm going to allow Travis to have this one. I don't want to say a whole lot about It's going to be huge. Oh, it's going to be huge. Hashtag winning by uh, Mr. County Council Mogul uh, Clay Morgan. And it it is awesome. Everybody should read the paper this weekend, and everybody should go say thank you to Clay Morgan. Subscribe. Because it was awesome. Subscribe to the paper, and if you don't do that, steal your neighbors. You've got to read this story. Oh, yeah. Is that what you're saying? It's going to be, like I said, hashtag huge with a Y. I want to thank uh, Travis Wyke for putting my name in the paper again for resigning from the Memorial Park Board last year. People had almost forgotten that I did that, but in his uh, Clay Morgan, uh, that uh, Chad Malicote quit, and he was nice you were to in put there that again? in there. Yeah, he mentioned my name. Oh, gosh. Thanks. Thanks. Travis, I really do appreciate that. So anyway, that uh, Jeremiah is the one that got us into this mess. Yeah, he just, I, yeah, that was actually. Was. I guess it, that Jeremiah <laughs> is the one that got us dot 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 into this mess. I don't think Travis. Uh, Travis writes in all caps. They frown on that at the newspaper. Oh, do they? Yeah, so. oh, that's unfortunate. Anyway, we've. Uh, <laughs> Uh, got uh, got a couple exciting things coming up here. You've got uh, you're selling tickets as a county chairman, Dakota. I am selling tickets you, as a county chairman. You've yeah, got a, uh, a big, absolutely correct big area convention coming up for the libertarians. I forgot to mention that the uh, the district six libertarian area convention. Uh, like I said on the last menu, if you're watching the video, the menu I have it right here, and it is top secret, but it is from Montgomery Steakhouse. Saturday, March eighteenth, yes. twenty two dollars. Uh, buy in advance. You're gonna. It's gonna sell out. You got about twenty tickets left to sell. I think at this yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, roughly. There's only room for forty five people. At this rate, we're gonna have to rent out the gathering in Louisville <laughs> next year. <laughs> That's, a thing, That's a good thing. That's a great thing. Our our area convention is gonna be bigger than some state libertarian conventions. I think we're we're <laughs> fast approaching that. Yep, it, it, we're a big deal. And uh, another thank you to uh, <laughs> local celebrity Dakota yeah. Davis. We'll be there signing autographs. That, that that's absolutely true. If you want to bring your Boss Hog Liberty T-shirt, if you were one of the lucky ones that got one off of the T-chip website before it was taken down. I'm sure both of us will sign it. <laughs> sure. All right. Even Chase, if he shows up, he'll sign it too. Yeah. You gonna be there? What kind of food? What kind of food are we oh, having? Okay. If it's you want, if, if you need me to reveal the top secret, okay. We anybody, are so long on this episode. Anybody that listens, it, it's going to be shaved top round beef with sautéed mushrooms and sautéed onions. It is going to be honey baked glazed ham, and then Ooh, green beans. My. Yeah, green beans, mashed potatoes. This is a salad. Dave, I grew up in Messina, New and, York. And very how, small much, town. how much are tickets? They, uh, They're $22 a piece, which is it. $3 less than last year. The morning radio guy, like town is like 6,000 people. He would read the school lunch menus <laughs> for the Catholic <laughs> school and all of, the, all of the public schools in town. Yep. And that's what this feels like yep. right now. That, we'll have uh, shaved beef, <laughs> that's what tater we're tots, and your choice of fruit or milk. It's a big deal. Uh, Mark, Mark Rutherford. Exactly. Mark Rutherford is going to be the one that's going to be uh, being the keynote speaker at the area convention, and he's a secretary for state candidate. He's going to do a great job. He's going to talk about the importance of that race. I'm really looking forward to this. I'll go if you let me have your tater tots. Ooh, you want to, you can have my tots. Give me your tots, man. I won't have no, any tots. get your own. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, we appreciate it very much. Uh, next week we have Blonde and Brunette, Caitlin Kapetsky and Jess Hooker. Uh, if you look up Blonde and Brunette, they're, uh, oh, loosely associated with the Bob and Tom show. They've been on, been around there a little bit. Caitlin was on the, uh, Caitlin was on the Jeff Vibbert podcast when it was in existence. And, uh, Jess was on the Chick McGee podcast. If you, uh, if anybody remembers that. Uh, so those guys will be on next week. They, uh, their show is, they're mixologists. So basically we're going to, I think we're going to have a weird seating arrangement. Dakota may have to sit over here on my right and the girls are going to have to sit where they can mix drinks. 
I'm but petitioning that, by the way. We're gonna we're gonna drink on the air. <laughs> I'm not giving up my seat. There's too many wires over here for the things that I control. <laughs> we'll have to see how it goes. But uh, anyway, that's next week, and then uh, I think we've got uh, we've got the next like five or six planned. We're getting ready to get into the series uh, with county races. We're we're gonna have uh, I think we've got at least one county commissioner candidate and two county council candidates already confirmed. Uh, between now and the May primary, we are going to try to get everybody through the door that's in a contested race into here. And uh, provide a forum to talk to uh, talk to people and and discuss the issues that are uh, that are coming up. Really, do need to thank Dave. We appreciate you uh, you making the trip down here to Henry County. Uh, we'll get you in c- connected with our Democrat friends here and see if we can get uh, get you in, in good with one of the counties. That'd be great. Thanks, Jeremiah. I, right. I need to do that. Absolutely. We'll catch you all next week. Thank you for listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Get our other shows at wearelibertarians.com.